The clubhouse was 1924, and then in 1930, the Porter Telescope was built, which was one of the unique telescopes, and look at that, it's moving. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about people and places in the Green Mountain State. I'm your host, Erica Housekeeper. Over the summer, I bought a $35 ticket to the annual Stellafane Convention of Amateur Telescope Makers. The four-day convention, held mostly outdoors on what's known as Breezy Hill in Springfield, Vermont, is organized by the Springfield Telescope Makers Club. The club and the convention have been around since the 1920s. Now, I know nothing about telescope making, or astronomy for that matter, but something about the event grabbed my attention. Part of what intrigued me was the setting of Stellafane and its history. At the top of Breezy Hill is the Springfield Telescope Club's hot pink clubhouse called Stellafane that was built in 1924. The clubhouse and the nearby Porter Tourette Telescope, constructed in 1930, are now National Historic Landmarks. Stellafane is Latin for Shrine to the Stars. The name was adopted by Russell Porter, a telescope maker and founder of the Springfield Telescope Makers Club. The clubhouse is filled with old photographs and memorabilia, and it's also where the Springfield Telescope Makers Club occasionally hold meetings. I wanted to see the hot pink clubhouse, the Porter Tourette Telescope, and meet telescope enthusiasts attending Stellafane, the longest-running convention of its kind in the United States. So I bought a ticket to the convention and decided to show up and see what happens. It was the first Friday in August, and it was this hot, sunny day. I got on the road early and drove to Springfield, which is located in Windsor County near the Connecticut River. I turned off Route 11 and wound my way up a network of dirt roads, and I followed a series of handmade signs for Stellafane. After showing my ticket at the entrance gate and saying hello, I continued down a narrow, hilly dirt road lined with tents where attendees were camping for the weekend as I backed my Volkswagen onto a patch of grass. And as I gathered my camera, microphone, and recorder from my car and walked back up the hill, I really didn't know what to expect. I wasn't sure if anyone would want to be interviewed. Fortunately, I ran into Ken Slater, a longtime member of the Springfield Telescope Makers Club. He was happy to chat with me about stellophane, telescopes, and stargazing. Here's Ken. The building behind us is called Stellafane, and that's a contraction of Latin for stellar and fane. Uh, stellar is, means star, which is pretty obvious. Fane has a rough translation of shrine or temple. So Stellafane is temple to the stars. It was originally two words, and at some point very early on it got contracted into a single word. It's great because it's a unique Google search term. You put in Stellafane, you're going to find us. <laughs> There's not another one around. Somebody named a quilt pattern after Stellafane, and so I get lots of false hits on quilt patterns, so <laughs> that's life. So the building uh, was constructed by the members in 1924. The club was incorporated as the Springfield Telescope Makers in December 7, 1923, and you don't build a building in winter in Vermont. The land we're on was originally owned by uh, Russell Porter, which was the founder of the club, and they had a kind of a deck out here with a tarp over it, and this is Breezy Hill, although as we look around, we see it fully uh, treed up. Uh, like most of Vermont, it was clear-cut, and uh, it does get breezy up here, so it was natural air conditioning. 
Uh, so the members uh, needed a place to meet and a m place to meet, uh, make their telescopes. Russell sold the club the land for a dollar, and then we proceeded to build this uh, building uh, behind us. It is pink and uh, with white trim. And a lot of people ask, why is it pink? It's not a usual color that you would associate with a bunch of basically men. We had one woman member at the time. So the members, uh, we didn't have a lot of money. The club did not. And so they went out and looked for donations at local area hardware stores. And uh, when they came back, they came back with three gallons of barn red, which is certainly, if you've been around Vermont, every barn is painted red. The houses are white, and so we got two gallons of white. And uh, one gallon of orange came back also, and uh, we're kind of uh, speculating that that just couldn't sell, and so it was a good thing to give away. And trying to figure out how to use this six gallons to paint the club, they decided to put it all into one pot, and we came out with this lovely hot pink color. So kind of a, a unique and accidental marketing ploy, but everybody knows who's associated with astronomy knows about the Pink Clubhouse. So uh, it's a kind of our trademark. The other thing visually is this little man emblem. There is a telescope on a tripod and a kind of caricature of a man in a top hat and an umbrella looking through it. We call that the Stellophane Little Man. And that, the original, is right above the door of the clubhouse and appeared mysteriously at the 1933 convention. We do not know who did it. We know it is not a member of the club. Uh, it was probably one of our attendees. We have a few ideas who it might be, but no way really to go back and verify exactly who did that to us. But that's what we got, so, and it, it, it persists, yes, so. The clubhouse is in use when we can get up the long driveway. We do not plow that in the winter, so it's basically eight months a year. And we do hold meetings uh, in the clubhouse. We have picnic tables out here on the front veranda, which have been moved down there. And so we will, uh, the club has always had a meal before the meeting, the monthly meeting. Vice president is responsible for that, so I know six years worth of doing that. It's, I don't have to do all the cooking, but you do have to make sure somebody's going to do some cooking. So we joke that we are a gastronomical society as well as an astronomical society. The other joke around here is that the members own more chainsaws than telescopes. And uh, to some extent, as my wife would say, it's boys playing with big power toys in the, in the woods. And I don't want you to think that we're only an all-male society. We uh, now have two of our seven board members are women. And I think we're going to have one for vice president, which is a good move forward next uh, November when we vote. And yeah, we're... we're getting pretty good, but it, it turns out that astronomy, like many other things, has been a male-dominated hobby for quite a while. So, How many people who come here for the convention actually bring telescopes? Like, what would you say the breakdown is of people just kind of coming to check things out or actually bringing their own equipment? Uh, you know, I don't have a hard number on that, but it is a lot. There will be hundreds of telescopes set up here this evening and tomorrow, so a good half of them, I would guess. Uh, we're looking at an attendance that we expect to be over 800, so it's, uh, it's quite the event. There are really seven major national astronomy conventions in the U.S. these days. We're the oldest among them, and we are the only one that owns their own property. Most others rent resorts or dude ranches or, um, you know, there's one down, the, down in the Florida Keys that rents a Boy Scout camp to do that. 
Uh, so we're unique in that we have our own facility. It's astronomically uh, organized. You can see we have uh, two observatories in front of us, uh, the Porter Turret Telescope and the Simone Solar Observatory. There are two other fixed observatories on the other side of the, of the land in uh, Cellophane East. Uh, we have the world's biggest submedial refractor, and uh, yeah, we have um, quite a unique facility here. So a little bit of back history. In the 1923, if you were owned a telescope, it's likely today you would own a Learjet. Okay, they were expensive, handcrafted toys for the very wealthy. People did not know how to make their own optics, and optical fabrication was a closely guarded trade secret. So one of Stellafane's claim to fame is that Russell Porter started teaching people how to make their own telescopes for cheap. Word got out that this was happening, and many people thought that this might be a fluke. There was an editor of Scientific American named Albert W. Ingalls, who got wind of this and came to visit us and checked this all out and said, holy mackerel, this is the real deal. You really can do this, and you have done this. And uh, he asked Russell Porter to write an article, which was published in 1926, I think late in the year 1926. Three months later, Scientific American had more correspondence about that article than any other article in the history of the magazine. So they had figured out that they might be on to something that would sell more magazines, which is always a good thing if you're in the magazine business. <laughs> and so Albert Ingalls, wrote, who became a club member, wrote a monthly column for amateur astronomers, and it became clear that amateur astronomers wanted to get together and explain uh, and trade uh, technique and just talk to each other and see what other people made. So in 1926, we had the first convention, which had maybe 30 people show up, and it has grown ever since. And do you hold it every year? We uh, attempt to hold it every year. We have missed a number of years in and around World War II because nobody was here. And unfortunately, we missed 2020 because we had this little pandemic thing to deal with. But otherwise, it has been every year. So this is the 85th convention. For someone who doesn't know about much about astronomy or like how hard is it to learn something like this. If you I remember reading a story recently in a newspaper about stargazing and like how it's I'm in, you know, I'm intimidated by it like oh this equipment and I'm not super scientific. Like what is it is it hard to get into this as a hobby? There is a learning curve, but you know, fly fishing has a learning curve and other things like that. So one of the reasons astronomy clubs exist is because they're a mentoring organization and they can help uh, newer people learn the stars, borrow telescopes. Uh, there's a lot of different types of telescopes and it could be very intimidating to figure out what is a good investment to make. One of the things that happens at Cellophane is we'll have hundreds of telescopes here. Everybody shares. Uh, we're sharing carefully this year. Uh, we're going to have saran wrap to put over the eyepieces to prevent direct contact. 
Um, but in general, you can try out different telescopes. As we're sitting on the clubhouse wall and looking out in the field, uh, the telescopes you see down there are all different types that were built by members. They were all up last night. And you can see there's small and portable ones and big and fat ones that you wonder how anybody lugs around. And they all have different uh, attributes and can look at different objects in the sky in different ways. And of course, if you're a person like me who is very interested in how things work and wants to know how to do it themselves, we offer a free telescope mirror making class so you can grind your own optics. You have to buy your own materials, but you can do it yourself. And we have a number of people who have done that. It's a requirement of membership that you have made a telescope in order to be become a member of this club. So yeah, you can, you can learn and you can read. It's, it can be done. On the day of the convention, Ken also told me about why Stellafane is in Springfield and shared how he first got interested in telescope making. The unique thing about uh, this space and the reason the Springfield telescope makers are in Springfield is because Springfield is part of the Precision Valley. Okay, which includes Windsor, where the original precision uh, machining was done. All of the early members worked for Jones and Lampson, and they were highly technical, highly skilled machinists or pattern makers. Very interesting, the, the person who made the molding patterns, who basically was a woodworker, made a wooden telescope. And if you look at the machinists, well, they were comfortable working with metal, so their telescopes were mostly metal. And of course, at that era, welding had not really been invented yet, so there was a lot of casting. So we had a lot of cast pedestals and things like that, and some riveting in places. So the reason we're here is because it was the precision machine tool industry which attracted our original initial members, and uh, we grew up from that because, hey, if you're a machinist, you work, uh, if you're an average machinist, you work to about a thousandth of an inch of tolerance. If you are a tool and die maker and you are very skilled and have very expensive equipment, you can work to ten thousandths of an inch of tolerance. And then this guy, Russell Porter, comes along and says, hey, you can run some, uh, rub some abrasive on glass and work to a millionth of an inch. And that's a very seductive statement to somebody who's looking for even more precision. So he really sucked them in with that, and the rest is history. I am one of the fortunate people in life who knew what they wanted to be at an early age. I knew I wanted to be an electrical engineer. I had an uncle who worked for Lockheed Martin, who was also an amateur radio operator. And he uh, would have to travel all over the world for some assignments. He left his amateur radio equipment in our basement often. And as a teenager, I would start to play around with that and said, hey, this radio stuff is pretty cool. I think I want to do more with this. So yes, I uh, grew up and became an electrical engineer. So I always liked technology. I was there at the beginning of the internet. I uh, worked happened to work for Digital Equipment Corporation and was, had an internet account uh, in the early 80s on ARPANET. Grew into doing microprocessors, got into website stuff and whatnot. And, you know, I had that kind of uh, 40, 45 sort of mid-age mid crisis where it was like, oh, what do I want to do? I know it all now. Of course, that's a silly thing to say because you never know it all. But it was, you know, and my wife kindly bought me a really cheap and awful telescope for Christmas, which is easy to do if you don't know what you're doing. She meant well. And I started getting interested in that, and I said, man, it's got to be better than this. It can't be this shaky, fuzzy thing, and started to read about telescope making. 
and realized it would be helpful if I could find some like-minded people. And uh, at the time, I was living in Massachusetts, and I went to visit the Amateur Telescope Makers of Boston, which is the big club in the area. And uh, they are a bunch of good people, but they were much more of a social club than a let's build it club. And one of the things Stellafane has a reputation for is we get it done. We build stuff. I mean, we're not talking about it. We're doing it. So I knew I had found my home when I found the, the STMs, and I started making uh, a mirror in their mirror class. And at that time, we were doing it down in the community center in Springfield. And then I had an idea that I could make testing a little better, and I brought that up to mirror class, and it got pretty good reviews, and pretty soon the president, Marianne Arian, said, uh, Ken, I think you ought to build three more, and that's probably enough to make you a member. Uh, <laughs> and so the rest is like, I am just in deeper and deeper and deeper and having a great time, so, yeah. And the, the other important thing is there's a lot of, smart people here. I come to Stellafane and I'm always learning something new from them. We have professional opticians, we have professional electricians, uh, you know, there's just a, it, it attracts a technical crowd and I'm happy to learn from them and exchange ideas. So it's, it's just a good environment for me to be in. Since that August day in Springfield, I found myself looking at the stars a little more at night. I've always appreciated the night sky, but I'm finding comfort in the stars more than ever. Ten days after the convention, my 91-year-old father died from cancer. And when I heard the news about my dad, it was 8.30 at night and the sun had already set. And even though my dad's death wasn't unexpected, I was in a state of shock and I couldn't believe he was gone. I walked outside, sat on my back deck, and looked at the stars, thinking about the universe, life, death, and loss. And I was overwhelmed but those tiny lights in the sky were a source of comfort. It felt therapeutic to gaze up at the sky. And now when I think back to the day my dad died, I try to remember the stars and how they made me feel. I recently followed up with Ken Slater by email and asked him about stargazing. How can someone like me who doesn't have a telescope or know much about stars learn more? Where do I start? Ken quickly wrote me back and he was very enthusiastic about giving me some pointers. Vermont, being a largely rural state, is blessed with dark skies. You can see the Milky Way pretty much for most of the state, unless you're in a more urban area like Burlington. Ken suggested that unless you want to see the moon in a telescope, which is a great beginner target with lots of interesting features, it's best to go observing in and around the time of the new moon, when there's no moon in the sky. That's because the moon brightens the sky and makes other objects harder to see. Typically, the best time of year to observe is winter, it gets dark early, and there's generally a lower level of humidity. Summer, on the other hand, brings darkness late, along with plenty of bugs and humidity. But all in all, Ken told me, the best time to observe the sky is when you want to do it, because you can see so many interesting things all year long. Of course, it takes some time to learn how to use a telescope. And a great way to do that is to go to a stargazing party at a place like Fairbanks Museum in St. Johnsbury, or a star party that's offered by a local telescope club. If you want to take some time to learn on your own, Ken also suggested NASA's Night Sky Network, which provides a nationwide calendar of astronomy events. If you enter your zip code on their website, it will list upcoming events in your area. You can also listen to Mark Breen on Vermont Public Radio's Eye in the Night Sky program. 
a 90-second stargazing broadcast designed to help you find and observe constellations and other objects visible to the eye in the night sky. And Ken also mentioned that if you don't own a telescope, but you're interested in getting into amateur observational astronomy, you should first buy a good pair of binoculars. You can see a lot with them, and binoculars will help you learn the night sky. And in all honesty, binoculars are a lot easier to use than a telescope. If you want to learn more about Stellafane and the Springfield Telescope Makers Club, visit stellafane.org. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you'd like to learn more about people and places in Vermont, visit my website at happyvermont.com. We also have Happy Vermont sweatshirts, t-shirts, and winter hats for sale online. And if you have story ideas, comments, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you. My email is hello at happyvermont.com. Thanks for listening. Take care and talk to you soon.